And then my friend who works in crypto, he goes, Jason, you have some ETH, right? You had ETH from like last cycle. Like, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your ETH? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm holding it. And he goes, no, what are you doing with it? And then I was like, are you earning interest on it? And I was like, what's interest? And, uh, and then he's like, let me show you some things. And he showed me how to borrow against my ETH, how to put it on exchanges, how to earn yield. And the light bulb went off. I looked at then my, my bank account and my life savings and I liquidate everything and I put it all into ETH and I'm like, let's go. Hello and welcome to DeFire, the crypto storytelling podcast that is like that good friend who lives a bit too far away. You don't hear from them every week, but when you do, you always have a great time. My name is Jonas and today on the show, we hear the story of Jason Hitchcock. Even though Jason is managing a large DeFi fund now, he remains somehow very relatable. He is a gifted storyteller. In this episode, he tells us the story from his startup days to being acquired by Twitch and how he was sitting depressed at home during the pandemic, working in an unfulfilling job to betting it all on crypto, like a true DGen, and making it big, but also losing half a million to hackers. This is a fast paced and interesting conversation. Jason doesn't hold back on details and specifics. He reveals the astonishing amount he made just by farming airdrops and shares his thoughts and tips on what he thinks is the most important for people trying to make it in DeFi. For instance, building a chat group with your friends that have the same financial goals. Our conversation was recorded before the whole Terra Luna debacle, just in case you're wondering. So let's jump right in after I have plugged my job board, that is. CryptoValley.Jobs is a job board where engineers, designers, analysts, traders and community builders can find cool crypto jobs. Full disclosure, I run this job board as a side project of this podcast. So if you are looking for a job or you want to advertise an open position, please go and visit CryptoValley.Jobs. And while you're there, make sure to sign up on the email list so you're always informed when new jobs are posted on the platform. That's CryptoValley.Jobs. And now let's start the show. I want you to know, Jason, that whatever you say, uh, you have the final cut. So don't hold back. I have nothing to hold back. It will all be pushed forward. Okay. And now imagine your entry music. What is it called? Are you going to play Juice World for me? Come and go. That's my favorite song. Great. It, it will be here. Now it's not here, but imagine it in your head. Yo. <laughs> oh, this is great. I would love to enter to Juice World. Jason, thank you so much to come on the show. Just very quickly, who are you? Who am I? I'm Jason Hitchcock. I'm the founder and GP of Four Moons. We are a crypto firm that we sub-advise for Kingsley Capital, which is a large crypto hedge fund. So we manage their, their whole crypto portfolio. And then we also run validators and uh, we also have our own fund. Prior to that, I spent 10 years working at early stage startups, doing sort of different go-to-market roles. I would build out sales teams, business development teams, customer success teams, growth teams. I worked in ad mobile mobile gaming and ad tech, e-commerce, years making consumer apps. One of those apps was a streaming app that was for Twitch streamers and Twitch ended up acquiring it. It was a company called Bebo. And mm -hmm. then I worked at Twitch for about two years doing a thing called fandom strategy. 
That sounds amazing. I would like quickly to dive in just a, a short story of one of those many things you've done, Bebo. I've seen Bebo has been founded by like this, this guy, Michael Birch, a British programmer, entrepreneur, and he sold Bebo for $850 million to AOL and then later bought it back for $1 million. So we were the ones that bought that back. This is an interesting story. I just interrupted you. Go on. No, that, that's what I wanted to know. It's like, tell, tell me more about that story. I, I, I mean, it's a crazy story. It's, so, it, these numbers are crypto-like. Bebo was like the number three social network. They took over Europe. And, you know, at the time, Michael and Sochi Birch, they were running the company. They saw the writing on the wall. They were like, Facebook's going to take over the world. And I believe it was AOL that bought them. And they gave a stupidly high offer, which was $850 million. They would have actually sold it for far less. And so they get this offer, they take it. Great. They exit. Like now they have a lot of money. They start investing like crazy around in all the companies that became the next generation of Silicon Valley. One of the things they set up was a thing called Monkey Inferno, which is an idea lab. What is that? It's a company. It's like a lab that has unlimited funding, essentially. Sean Purry, who runs the My First Million podcast, he was the CEO of that. And then he recruited me to join on the executive team to run like growth. And what we did was we had a mandate of building just apps that a generation of users would use. And so we made like eight different apps. We made one that was kind of like Bitmoji before Bitmoji. We made an app called Blab that got like 10 million users. It was like kind of like imagine Clubhouse, but with video. We, we also made an app. Oh God, we, we, we made group FaceTime apps. And then finally we made the Twitch streaming app. In the time though, while we were doing this, we heard that Bebo was going up for auction. And what, as it turned out, when AOL acquired Bebo, they did nothing with it. After a few years, they eventually sold it to some private equity firm that also, you know, all they did was slap more ads onto it and like continue to let it die. And we heard it was going up for bankruptcy auction. We sent down Sean and we worked out an, a bidding strategy and he then places a bid and the $1 million bid ended up winning. And so we got Bebo back and like, we just wanted the name, the page rank of Bebo. It's such a good domain. We got an email list of, you know, millions of names. And uh, we thought we could use this to launch other products. Like surely this brand, we could use it. And we ended up finding out that the, the person that we bought it from had actually pointed all of the Google like AdSense accounts to their personal bank account, not the actual company bank account. And so we then sued him for a few million dollars for violating their fiduciary duty. And so they ended up having to pay us a little bit more money. And so essentially we got it for free, like plus some. Uh, wow. And then, <laughs> and then we launched like five different products named Bebo. And every time we launched a product, all these British users would show up and be like, can I get my old photos back? And <laughs> it was great because then they, they would use the app. And then, yeah, the final Bebo that we had was bought by Twitch. So it, it was like the, the whole story like went full circle. Wow. And in the beginning, it was just like the social network similar to Facebook. And then in the second round, when you bought it back, you, you added a live streaming to it. It was never added to. The only thing that was left after Bebo was we owned the IP. And so like we were, there was no more Bebo. We built a completely new product, named it Bebo because we could, used a really great domain. A whole bunch of British people would find it. And that was that. And then we would do our normal thing. I think this is a great name. Uh, it's worth it. 
Definitely, definitely. And it also, I, I mean, for me, what caught my attention is like this crazy difference of price, right? You have like almost a billion, 850 million, then you buy it back for 1 million a couple of years later. Does that, these kind of like numbers prime you um, to think differently about money and what, you know, like that something can shoot up to the moon, but also crash that is now looking a little bit from a crypto perspective? That's an interesting question. The honest answer is no. I don't really see a connection between these things because like, it doesn't feel like Bebo is an asset that like you can own and materially have it change your life. Um, sure, there were two founders that owned that and they had to build that startup. And it, you know, didn't just go parabolic. Like that was a long journey. And then they got like an offer. Like mm -hmm. I feel like parabolic is like a tracked asset that is priced and like you're watching it sort of move up in valuation. And it doesn't feel like a very tradable asset. So I get where your question is coming from. And I'll just say, no, I don't have those feelings about it. Oh, that's, that's good. And speaking of assets, I mean, people got bought from, by Twitch. I believe it was also a little bit, the human beings working there, especially the developers, et cetera, were also seen a little bit as assets, right? It was not necessarily because like this app was so good and had so many users. Was, what, what do you call that? The aqua hire? Yeah, you know, it it turns out we like we had a, a fantastic, you know, streaming app, but we didn't feel like we had we had product market fit with a certain type of user, which was like new streamers, and we didn't actually think that that was a good market to win. We were trying to move upstream and figure out how do we win all the streamers. And while we were trying to figure that out, it turns out like one of our marketing stunts that sort of was really interesting, we saw Keemstar, who's a YouTuber, was throwing these epic Fortnite tournaments. He would put up $50,000 in prize money, invite all the cool kid streamers who were big Fortnite streamers, and they would all compete. They're already playing Fortnite every day. And so they're getting this invite that's like, you want to play for 50 grand against all the other cool Fortnite streamers in a fun tournament that we make today is all about that. The Twitter's going to go nuts. Like, sure, I'll play in that. If you looked at the numbers, like six to 10 million people would tune in to watch these things like across all the streamers. And I don't think anybody really noticed that. Uh, Twitch noticed it. We noticed it. And so we started throwing our own tournaments. And then the idea that we did was we, in our streaming app, we wanted to make it so like our app made it really easy to run these tournaments. They were very hard to run. And so we built all this technology into the app that made running tournaments very easy, sending out invite codes. People could log in. Our app would use computer vision to detect kills and keep score. And then it would send you money to your PayPal. Like it was very smooth. Wow. Twitch at the Twitch at the same time was running a building out a, an original content team for the first time. And they wanted their first show that they were doing was streamer tournaments. It was called Twitch rivals. And so they were, they were also running massive tournaments. It's a massive operation and they were going to be building out software. And they had the question of, do we build this ourselves, hire engineers, it will take time, or look at this company, they have all the people we need, they think about this daily, they're obsessed with this problem, we can bring them and slot them in right onto our team, and they could go and build this software internally for Twitch, and that was the story. Mm, that's amazing. It almost seems like Twitch has seen that uh, gaming and, and you guys as well, that gaming is actually the, the most engaged audience, and you can build 
almost a whole business around that. And it's almost like the killer application or the killer use case for, for streaming. It used to be at the time, the earliest adopters. Now applying this for crypto, do you, as you are very deep into crypto and DeFi and you, you run your own fund, et cetera, do you see something going on right now in crypto that you say, hey, this is actually something similar that's going on right now underneath our eyes, or probably a few people know it, but this is the killer application of crypto. So let me back up a little because I think where my answer to this question goes back to when I joined Twitch, it was really clear what everyone at the company should do, except for me. Everyone was a designer, an engineer. I was this very general go-to-market person that did growth marketing and BD and strategy. And I came up with ideas and like, where do I fit in Twitch? And so they made me write a paper. They had this whole six-page paper thing. And I wrote a paper about how I was reading all these articles trying to find inspiration. And I was just always thinking about how I think fandom is a really ascendant idea that like is a little bit more nuanced than just viewership. And I found a really interesting article that sort of gave me inspiration for the paper. And I wrote something about how we should establish a fandom strategy team. What we would do is we would come up with a framework for assessing the health of fandom. Are we doing the things we need to do to turn our viewers into fans? Or are we doing things that can smother the fandom and turn our fans into jaded, you know, dispassionate people? And so there were sort of like three things that we used in this framework. One, everyone becomes a fan because they want to vicariously live through something and they want to feel the emotions of that. Like you're a fan of Game of Thrones because you want a sense of adventure, but you're not literally going to go kill people and you don't literally want to be in those uncomfortable situations. But watching Jon Snow do it activates these chemicals in your brain. The thing that you love has emotional range. So it takes you on these highs and lows. And like that, that range is what makes those feelings so strong. When you have low lows, the high highs feel even better. Like, oh my God, the band hasn't had an album for a long time. The new album just came out. Wow. Or wow, like this is a great music video. I'm looking forward to it. These are highs and lows. Two is self-identification. Fans need a way to self-identify. They need to look in the mirror and recognize a fan, whether they have merch or, hey, like, I see that you have a silver status. Like, I know what it takes to get that. You had to apply. Like, you're in the club. Or, or do you know the code words? Jonas, like, only people that listen to the podcast know about that theory about Arya Stark. All these things matter because if you look like a fan and talk like a fan... One, you're convincing yourself you're a part of something. Two, you can recognize other fans in the wild and be like, oh my God, me too. Three, you can advertise to other people that aren't in the fandom. Yo, are you like us? Like, you know, maybe you should join this fandom. And then finally, the last thing is social connection. Are there spaces where you can collide with other fans and become friends with them? Because if you share this obsession in pop culture, it doesn't matter what they look like, where they're from. You share this bond over something very specific, you know, this K-pop group, this streamer, this video game, and you will relate to each other and become friends. And so you can look at these three things to say, like, do we have the highs and lows, self-identification, social spaces? What's the quality of each of these things? And so now fast forward to crypto. I am seeing fandoms around apps and it's completely new. I've never felt strongly about using Uber or Airbnb or Amazon. I use them, okay? But you have these protocols that are open source. All the information is completely out there. Everyone can learn. If you're using, you know, Curve, a DEX in DeFi that trades stablecoins, 
you can learn everything about it. These protocols are companies, they have roadmaps, there's milestones, there's key events, and you know, they all have tokens. And so there's a range of ways to participate in a protocol at a bare minimum. You could say, oh, I learned about this. I'm interested. I will just buy the token. And like, maybe that's all you do. And now you're invested in it and you care about it and you're, you're emotionally going to be following it. All these things you start to see in the discord, familiar faces, and you see on Twitter, people talking about it. And suddenly like there's a fandom that kind of like, we all are in this together. It's kind of weird because these things are happening around really boring financial apps and <laughs> it's real. I can tell you, I don't like finance. I can't believe I feel these feelings. It gets me really excited about when there's going to be applications that are not finance, that are all the other things I love in life. We're seeing it with games. New feelings are being created in this world, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to see more fandoms emerge around software because those feelings are really intense, and I think life is about feelings. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a long answer, but I wanted to package it like that. No, no, that that's great. I should go in you, into your past and kind of want to fill in this gap between when you started there uh, at the startup and now being kind of like a big hedge fund manager, so to say. But one thing I just quickly have to insert here is this question about fandom and NFTs and gaming, because they seem to be so close. However, there's mm -hmm. so much hate going on. Do you have like a, a, a theory, since you also know the gamers and the fandom, why they hate NFTs so much? I don't think they actually hate NFTs. Gamers are really comfortable discussing products in public. Gamers culturally scrutinize products. And so like, it's their MO to react. Like, is the game good? You know, how can the game be better? Let's, let's review the game. And then like, people dislike what they don't understand. If they haven't gotten to what we call the aha moment with the product, if they haven't experienced product market fit, they're going to explain why they don't use it. And they're going to come up with all sorts of good reasons. They're not all crypto experts. And here's what they're doing. They're pulling one of the reasons out of the zeitgeist that they've heard. The environment. It's a scam. This is a Ponzi. There's no value to this stuff. Users are not the best at describing why they do or don't use a product. What they can do is they can give their feelings about it. And there's a reason why companies hire scientists to do this work, to figure out, do people like our product? You know, every tech company has UX researchers and they go through and they ask questions in a certain way because there's an answer beneath the answer. And so I think that gamers simply haven't been presented with a crypto use case that they go, I like this. This is awesome. Imagine you're playing Fortnite and at the end of the game, you won. And then Fortnite's like, congratulations, like you won. Here is like a winner trophy. It's an NFT, like collect this. Boom, it's in your wallet now. And, and suddenly this like activated perks in the Fortnite universe. If you go to the website, they detected in your wallet discounts. They airdrop you V-Bucks, their in-game currency every month, just because you have it in your wallet. And by the way, because you keep winning, these perks compound. You get more V-Bucks, you get more discounts. Maybe when you get, a hundred winner trophies, you qualified for the Fortnite tournament. You don't even need to buy tickets. You just need to go walk up to that tournament. And I'm like, I got all hundred of these trophies and they go, go through the gate. Welcome. And then maybe one day, another brand is like, Hey, we're Supreme. You know who we are. We, we make really cool streetwear. 
we're doing a collection with Fortnite. If you have a hundred of those winner trophies, you can come to the Supreme website and get a specific, you know, hoodie that is only for people who are champions. And you can mint one and they send it to you. Mm-hmm. I just don't think like this system has been constructed yet. And, you know, just the other day, so there's a company I invested in, my good friend, uh, Furcon, he was a co-founder at Bebo. He was the CTO there. He made a, he has a company called Third Web, which makes it really easy to make NFTs. So one of their clients is, is 100 Thieves, one of the most popular esports teams in the world. And 100 Thieves, they won a big championship for League of Legends. I think it was League of Legends. And then they said, hey, to all our true fans, next 72 hours, show up. You can mint this championship necklace. And it was like this diamond necklace that looks sick. It was an NFT. This was virtual. And yeah, you can go get one for free. And so 750,000 people minted them in 72 hours. It's the third largest NFT drop ever. And so if you looked at the Twitter when they announced it, it was like, oh, no, not NFTs. But like, yo, 750,000 people got them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think they got something they wanted, which was like, I think NFTs that properly facilitate fandom, there's no debating it. People want it. People can talk about the environment, but their actions are, I'm going to buy the car or like, I'm a... I'm a vegan, but I'm wearing a leather belt. There's contradictions all across our lives. And so that's why I'm saying like, I don't think gamers actually hate NFTs. I think they just haven't been given something that they loved. And every gaming company is actually talking about this now. It's coming. Regardless of what gamers say, I can tell you every gaming company is now looking at this, starting to build stuff. And they're going to be given stuff by companies that are very good at giving stuff. So Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that very, very, very convincing. Do you come up with those ideas on the spot or do you think about this all day long, uh, I, I guess, but I'm, I'm impressed by how, how well you could articulate that. Yeah, <laughs> and the ideas yeah. also, the, the examples. Um, storytelling, if we would make a movie about you now, where would we start? What would be the first scene? I think the first scene would be, it would be one of those movies where... Okay, it would start, it would be like one where you start in the middle, kind of go forward a little bit. We go back Mm -hmm. to the beginning, tell some of the story, and then we pick up to where we were. So like the part where we would start would be during the pandemic. I was in my apartment, locked in. It's Mm -hmm. been many months. I had a beard. I'd put on weight. I had dark circles (laughs) under my eyes. And I was sad. I was like, I was not at work where I get energy Mm -hmm. from people. And... I felt like I was disconnected from our culture and I was crying, talking on like a Facebook portal call with my parents. I was like, ah, I'm going crazy. I feel like I've had a long career on the internet and I feel like I'm bored of the internet. I don't love working at Twitch. It's Mm -hmm. kind of hard to work here. It's like a huge company that's a bureaucracy. And I have like important work I have to do that I don't enjoy doing. I'm stressed out. I don't is this what life is? Like, I don't, if, if I didn't do this, I don't know where I would work or what I would do. Um, then I started crypto investing after that. And like, I, after that, I was like, I organized all my friends who were founders into a group chat. And we were like, we've made other people so much money. I've sold millions of dollars worth of products across different companies, done all sorts of marketing. Surely all of us with our brains combined could come up with ways to make ourselves money. And we would type in the group chat, our ideas and experiments like, oh, what about let's do a Shopify store for streetwear, wild, you know, bike shorts because Peloton's huge. Like 
people want to take <laughs> selfies with cool bike shorts and all the bike shorts are too sporty or, oh, let's try this erotic newsletter. We'll buy ads on Pornhub and we'll <laughs> hire a writer on Wattpad and they will write niche erotic content and we'll charge 25 bucks a month. Or like we just came up with all like here's an email app, $6 a month, you know, whatever. Um, none of it worked. And then my friend who works in crypto, he goes, Jason, you have some ETH, right? Like you bought, you had ETH from like last cycle. Like, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your ETH? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm holding it. And he goes, no, what are you doing with it? And then I was like, are you earning interest on it? And I was like, what's interest? And, uh, and then he's like, let me show you some things. And he, like, he showed me how to borrow against my ETH, how to put it on exchanges, how to earn yield. And the light bulb went off. I looked at then my, my bank account and like my life savings and I liquidate everything and I put it all into ETH and I'm like, let's go. And it was wait just a, a massive second, wait a second. That, that went quickly. You, you just see, you, you just seen well, that you learned the, the, a little bit about it. The, and the, 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 the step there was simply going, okay, if I put this much ETH into the system, mm -hmm. doing a strategy, here's how much money comes out every day. And then I just did the math. I go, okay, well, what if I doubled it? Does the output double? Yeah. Oh my God, it does. And then I just did the math. I go, how much money do I need to put in the left side on the input side to get my year's salary at Twitch on the other side? You know, I was making 115 grand a year at Twitch. So that's $315 a day or something like that. And so how much money did I need to put into the machine, the DeFi strategy to spit yeah. out my year's salary? So then I went to my, I sold that. I bought it. I bought that amount of ETH. I ran a strategy and... It like came out and I was like, well, amazing. How much did you put in? It was about 900 grand. And it was like, I it was built up to that with chunks. And it ended up being about, it ended up being a total of about 1.2 million, which was my entire, ever since I was like 13, I had like put every dollar I'd ever earned in like Apple stock. And then whenever I had any job I ever had, all my savings, I just put into the stock market like fang companies. And I didn't really spend any money in my life. I like would go on vacations here and there, but I was not a big spender. Mm -hmm. And I never really did a lifestyle adjustment in my grown up life. And so I then just looked at my stock, my equities, and I was like, I'm going to sell all of this. And I put it all into crypto because I just, I, I understood what was going on there. I don't, I didn't think it was actually that risky. And then it was mainly to put it into a DeFi strategy that generates mm -hmm. yield. And which, then which, which strategy was that? Sorry, just to what, what was the strategy back then? The the first strategy was really simple. There's a there's a website called Haru. I don't know why it's not more famous because still to this day it is kicking the crap out of everything out there. Haru Invest, H A R E U. They you can it's like a centralized thing. You send the money, kind of like BlockFi or Celsius, but yeah. instead of lending your money out, they actually run these low risk day trading strategies. They have a blended strategy that generates, I mean, I just got an email yesterday. Their explore feature earns 25% APY on Bitcoin, 22% on Ethereum, 24% on Tether. Like this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I put my money into Haru and it was earning every single day I was getting ETH airdropped into my account. And, you know, I've had money there for two years and they have not missed a day. And they have delivered every single day for two years. There are corporate treasuries that they're managing. So Haru was the first like step of earning yield. And then after that, I was like, okay, let's learn about DeFi because DeFi summer was happening. And so then I started, the next thing I did was I, I pulled a, a good chunk of ETH out of Haru. I then 
go to Oasis, which is a platform owned by uh, MakerDAO, who makes DAI, the stablecoin. And they, on Oasis, you can collateralize your Ethereum and then you can mint DAI. It's over collateralized loans. So, you know, if I'm going to make up a number, if you put on $200,000 into Oasis, you could mint $100,000 worth of DAI. And so I, I put it all onto Maker. I minted several hundred thousand dollars of DAI. I then did something risky here because I actually, I'm learning how this works. I'm going to be making some boneheaded moves. Although I swapped it all for this token called the farm token by this platform called Harvest Finance, which is a fork of yearn. And then I, I put it all there. And what's interesting is Harvest is a, it's a yield aggregator. And so Harvest plugs into tons of DeFi protocols that are earning yield. It plugs into Curve, Uniswap LP positions that are popular like Dai ETH. It plugs into Mirror Protocol, all sorts of protocols. It takes basically your money and it distributes it across a strategy. And then every day it's harvesting the yields and returning the money back to the farm token owners. And this was me first learning about like, well, how does it earn yield? What's it plugging into? How do those things work? Where does the yield come from on those things? And like from that, I learned all of DeFi basically, like how it all worked, um, how do exchanges work, how do lending and borrowing protocols and money markets work, how do insurance protocols work, how do token emissions work, why do they happen? And and along the way, I was like earning like really high APY on, on, on farm, like it was like 300% or something like that. And so I was earning a bunch and then I took, I took a bunch of my earnings after three months paid down my debt that I like took out initially so I wouldn't get liquidated. And then I essentially bought the farm. I then took my my farm tokens that had like appreciate and I like exited farm because I was like, there is no way the first thing I'm trying is like the right thing. That was mm -hmm. like my like like you're born in randomly in the animal kingdom and I discovered which animal I was and it wasn't like the lion. It was just a random animal in there. And so I'm like, all right, let's go find on it. Let's go on a journey to find like what is the optimal portfolio for me to hold in DeFi? And that's going to be like a mix of which tokens do I trust that are going to appreciate and generate high yield to maintain that sort of like, I'm no longer working my job. I need to maintain like a certain amount of daily yield. And so this is when I refer to this as like the hot ball of money. Like I then took the whole thing out and like moved it over to mirror protocol which at the time was like an early emission, you know, uh, it was like a Terra synthetics decks. Don't worry about it. Then I moved, then I was there for a little bit. Then I saw Alchemix launched and I was like, ooh, Alchemix, that's interesting. I love that protocol. Then I moved it all over to that. And then since then, like I have, I moved it all around. I have now settled my whole portfolio onto just a few tokens that have hit my sweet spot, which are like Luna, Convex and Osmosis. And I've like, since like last August last since last summer, I've literally just consolidated this portfolio down to these three things, and I'm just compounding every day like crazy. Wow, I've been there at DeFi summer looking at it, but for me the risk was always so high. I mean, understanding where the tokens come from is one one aspect, but then the other thing which I cannot assess is like, is it safe? Is this smart contract written safely? Because there's so many exploits and it, it just seems so um, ridiculously scary to do that, you know? Did you ever have like a scary click or, or, or a thing that you afterwards would just say, hey, this was really scary. I shouldn't probably have done that. 
It's very scary. I remember doing doing large transactions that are hundreds of thousands of dollars or more millions of dollars is terrifying. I was hacked early on. Someone stole $500,000 from me. It was terrifying. How did that happen? I don't know. I think I, I, my theory is it was social engineering or maybe I downloaded malicious software onto my computer and mm -hmm. something piggybacked onto my transactions. To this day, we don't know. I've worked with researchers to try to figure it out. Um, I had to hire like anonymous developers from like the Flashbots Discord to help create bots that like, because my hacker like unstaked all these validators and we had to have bots that like would be like in a 21 day period, I had a 21 day race to like find a developer, build the bots. What the bots did would be, they'd be monitoring the blockchain so that the moment my, my money unstaked, my bot would beat them, their bot, and it would move the money to like my, my wallet. And like it worked and it was terrifying. So you got your money back? Well, I got some of it back. Uh, they successfully took a chunk of my money and then <laughs> they sort of in slow motion were trying to take other stuff and I magically like beat them. And like, it was incredibly dramatic. I can go back to that moment when like we were waiting for the moment that it unstaked and the bot would activate. We were all like looking at the computer, like, is this going to go to my wallet or their wallet? Who's it going to be? And it went to mine and like, we all celebrated and mm -hmm. um, it was crazy. So let's see. Yeah. Those are the crazy things. And then like, there were also times where I've entered liquidity positions. Like I remember I joined Convex on day one. I bought a whole bunch of it. And then like, the convex ETH liquidity pool was really great at a really high APY. It was over 100% and it's an amazing token. So I went really heavy into that at the absolute peak of convex. It was convex went from like $1.30 to like $12. And then right after I entered that pool, it went right back down to like $3. And I dealt with, I learned the hard lesson of like impermanent loss really hard. I saw like, an, I saw a massive stack of ETH melt into convex tokens, which in hindsight was actually quite good because uh, like I held on to that position. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this. And it's like, it's multiplied since then. But like at the time it was a really hard lesson. And what I learned was that in DeFi, there's more things you can do to put your money to work. You have new responsibilities as an individual that normally were responsibilities that you delegated to institutions like Am I a good borrower? Can I handle this? Well, instead of someone else looking at you and deciding, you look at yourself and decide. You can borrow money, but you might get liquidated because maybe you can't handle it. Or should should you even own this token? I don't know. You have to do your own research. It's not your financial planner or like you're kind of like the VC doing due diligence and like everyone else is going to shrug their shoulders and be like, I don't know, it's pretty good. Should you like, you need to basically take on new responsibilities to earn the new yields that are available. And that can be stressful because now you're relying on your own judgment. And I think that's like the common theme across all the stresses. But with that stress and that responsibility comes opportunity. Like I, I stay up late. I stay up late. I have a group text. Um, I'm constantly monitoring the market. There have been times where I get a text at 4 a.m. where my business partners, they know what my liquidation thresholds are for different loans I have. And they're like, hey, Jason, like I just saw a candle wick down to, you know, this such and such price, like you should go check your vaults and like, all right, 4am I'm going and I'm doing a transaction just to make sure I'm safe. And that, that is, that is what it means to like, 
to, to do that. Uh, in order to do that strategy, I need to be that aware and I need to have that kind of system in place. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you had a lot of um, people around you also, like in this moment when you lost this 500K, you know, that you figure out a way of uh, building these bots, etc. A lot of people out here listening, they're probably alone in this journey because not every, everyone has like this surrounding uh, interested in it. Well, the way that I found my help was like, I went on Twitter and I searched for tweets that were like, I searched for keywords like hack, you know, and I found a, a blog post about a story that was similar to mine. And the blog post said, like, I went to this discord called Flashbots, and I was like, all right. And I just went to that. I found that discord and I went in and I was like, hey, I read this article and this thing happened to me. And I just, I'm just shouting out loud in case anyone like hears what I'm saying in case like this resonates with anyone, if I can get help. And then someone reached out to me to go, hey, I saw your post this is exactly how we help people. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. Let's go, let's talk. I think my number one tip to people is you should find friends, real friends, real people. They might not be your best friends right now that you typically associate with, but there could be people in your life that have the same financial goals that you have. And that's the key thing to have in common, the same financial goals. And you make a chat room and you talk about crypto and the only thing you talk about in that chat is how to achieve your financial goals, because then it's not just like, hey, I saw this cool thing or check out this, this, this interesting thing I found. No, 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 because there's too much in crypto to talk about. This chat room is all about opportunities to move forward, and that becomes a good filter. And then it turns into a war room. Hey, everyone, there's an airdrop coming up. We should all use Arbitrum's bridge. Like, let's actually, here's like a list of bridges I made that like don't have tokens yet. Let's all just use them. Hey, there's a new, there's a new money market launching on Terra. Money markets uh, like Aave and, and Compound like did really well on, uh, on Ethereum. Maybe the one on Terra will do really well, like Mars Protocol and Anchor, so and so on and so forth. You end up having this conversation and that's how you sort of like move around DeFi and you end up finding positions that you're excited about. You have a bunch of brains looking at it and then maybe someone's like, man, that's someone who's really great. I'm including them in our group. They're one of us. And like you've added a new brain in the surface area that you can all think, you can all think across expands. No, that's amazing. And you mentioned the airdrops and I think that they have been important for you and you had some amazing success with airdrops in, in the last years, right? I think, and yeah, me and anybody else who was, you know, screwing around DeFi during DeFi summer, like when I first joined, started doing crypto stuff, everyone was earning airdrops from like, stuff that I had not done because like it had already happened. And I was like, oh man, like I didn't do the things to earn the airdrops that everyone's like getting so much money on. Like I missed the Uniswap airdrop and I missed DYDX, but I just kept doing stuff. And like, I just kept getting airdrops because it turns out this is like the best form of marketing. And so if you do a bunch of things on the, and you put your, you know, some behavior on the blockchain, you know, think about it like, if you're a protocol and you're like, well, airdrops are a great technique. We're a financial tool. Who should we airdrop our tokens to? Everyone will always answer the question with people that have done something that is connected to what we do. I think those people would be interested in learning about us. Anyone that's ever borrowed money, we're going to send you, we're going to send you our tokens. Anyone that's ever bridged tokens to anywhere, we'll send you tokens. This is so common. And so like last year, like after about a year and a half of doing DeFi stuff, I had earned in airdrops several times more than any salary I'd ever earned at a company. And it was just by doing stuff. It wasn't yeah. even like I did 
a large, it wasn't like of the amount of money that was happening. It was just the, the volume of activities happening. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and so I just, I think, I think it's like, we're all basically we're it's almost like we're all beta testers and all the protocols are paying us to kind of check stuff out. And mm -hmm. to them, it's just marketing budget, but to us, it's a meaningful amount of money. Definitely, definitely. I've seen a, a talk of yours and you mentioned it was around 600K that you you earned that way. Yeah, that was over like year and a half or 18 month period. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. Wild. Wild, yeah. But for, for people starting, just the gas fees for playing around are so extreme, right? I mean, if you if you talk about Ethereum, other, other layer ones, of course, it's a different story. Where should people who have not so much money start? You know, what is the best way to start a journey? That's a good question. I mean... It really depends on what your goals are. Like, I also, like, you heard the number I said when I, like, first started. I started there. And so I actually have very little empathy for people who are starting with, I don't know, less than, like, $100,000 into crypto. I would almost think that, like, <laughs> I basically think until, un, un, like, I do empathize because I have, like, a lot of friends that I help. But, like, the way I think about it is, I think DeFi is a whales game. And... Like earning yields is great at a certain point. It starts at like, I think when you have a few hundred thousand dollars in is like, that's when yields gets interesting. But up until that moment, I think you should have a capital appreciation strategy. Instead, you should focus on that first step, which is buying the right assets that are going to go parabolic and change your life as just simply with, even without yield, you own enough, I'll make up a token, but like you own enough Luna tokens that if Luna went to a thousand dollars then you know or yeah mm -hmm. then or if avalanche went to a thousand dollars you own enough of it that a material change would happen to your life and then mm -hmm. because these assets you can hold them in ways that they grow at a, a certain rate some people pursue 100 and 200 you know sort of yield returns on their assets but i think the opportunity really is holding the right assets and there's this bonus of Oh yeah, if I stake my Luna, I earn 10%. Or I can put my Luna tokens on Astroport and earn 15% in like as a liquidity provider on that same asset. Mm -hmm. Like that 15% is not like, it's not going to be life-changing, but it's going to be like this nice bonus on top of your asset. And so when you say on oh, the gas fees, I don't really think that, I don't think really anybody should be worried about gas fees from an investor perspective because either you're not a whale investor and therefore, you shouldn't be doing a lot of transactions. You should just be buying and holding, of which you don't even need to be using DeFi. You can be going onto a central exchange and buying the tokens that are there. Like you can buy Luna on Coinbase. I'm not recommending, by the way, that people buy Luna, but this is not financial mm -hmm. advice. And then whales, I think up to a certain point, they can go do stuff in DeFi and it doesn't matter because the earnings that they're going to get from every click completely outweigh the cost of that click. Mm-hmm. And earlier, I listened to another podcast of you and you were very bullish on Ethereum, you know, saying that Ethereum was a kind of like the, the OS of, of the blockchain world or, or of the future, so to say. But now in, in the tokens that you're holding, you didn't mention Ethereum at all. Did, did something change? Did you change your mind on that? Nothing changed. I think Ethereum is going to be like iOS. It's basically like the operating system of like a crypto and like every other blockchain will bridge back to it. And it's going to be like this base layer, like it's going to be mainly used by computers, I think, in like epic whales as like one day gas prices will go through the roof even more. So that's that. And then 
there's all these other blockchains that have product market fit that are exploding and are earlier on the risk curve. And so my goal is to outperform Ethereum. I, I have a dream number of Ethereum that like, oh my God, I want to have that many Ethereum. And so what I need to do is I need to, I've constructed a portfolio that I think will appreciate much faster than Ethereum. And then one day I will swap all of it back into Ethereum. That's like, that's my grand plan. And so like, I, it's like, it's out of love of Ethereum. It's like, I'm, I'm going on a quest to go, to go get, you know, my golden cloak. I'm going to go get the crown. I want, I want all this Ethereum. And so that's why I have Luna, Osmosis and Convex. Osmosis and Convex both have a tremendous amount of yield for different reasons. And I think they're going to both appreciate a lot. Osmosis as the decks of Cosmos, very aggressive founder shipping a lot, tons of TVL. They're just doing great and everyone loves them in Cosmos. Convex is sort of like a key token in the curve wars. It's earning this thing called bribes. And I think bribe revenue is going to go up. I think it's very scarce. Every token that is listed on curve needs to own Convex in order to get liquidity, blah, blah, blah. Google the curve wars. And then Luna, a token that's designed to go parabolic as more UST is printed. It's, a, it's like the number four stable coin, the fastest growing stable coin, an equal value of Luna gets burned. And if you believe in a future where there's going to be more stable coins, uh, there, that means like more Luna is going to get burned and Luna is going to go parabolic in price. And so these are the bets I'm making. And if those bets are correct, they should, I think they're going to outperform Ethereum. And, and then I'll be able to rotate or take the yield I'm earning and buy more Ethereum one day. But the way I think about it is I want to get it, I want to get the machine to a certain size uh, where either I'm earning enough yield that like I could over a predictable short amount of time buy my stack of Ethereum and then I have both mm -hmm. or this gets valuable enough that I could rotate it back. And why, why this stack of Ethereum? Why, why do you, you, you keep that, you know, like instead of buying now Ethereum and staking them, why, why do you want to have the stack of Ethereum? Because once... I guess the other ones are going up as like parabolic. It's almost like when you when you build a company that you want to be super rich. And once you are rich and you sold the company, you have this money and then you have to put it back into the system. You're not just holding the money, right? You, you will do something with that money. I just think that Ethereum is a safe asset in crypto. It is uh, resilient. There's tons of projects on it, tons of developers. It's years ahead in terms of its ecosystem development and capital formation around it. It's the smart contract platform that everything is bridging back to. And so these other assets I'm describing, I think are just riskier. And so, I mean, the dream is to have a certain amount of Ethereum and a certain amount of stable coins. And I earn, and this certain amount is an amount where I'm earning yield on those stable coins that materially funds my whole life. And so like I've got, you know, the S&P 500 of crypto, which is Ethereum, which everything is built on top of. And then I have my bank account, stable coins, which are also generating yields that fund my life. That, that is the goal. Mm -hmm. and, and the way to get there is with this car that is you know, driving at a certain speed because I currently don't have my, my goal portfolio, but I'm driving this car there, which is made out of other tokens that are driving faster. That and like and I'm always looking for things that will get me there even faster. And and you you're sitting now in Miami, is that correct? Uh, do I see Miami? 
in the background. Yep. So you were a Bitcoin Miami. And we haven't mentioned the word Bitcoin in this episode at all. And Bitcoin is for a lot of people what, what Ethereum is for you. Like this one asset they want to grow, this kind of like a uh, store of value, this, you know, like this digital gold. I don't own any Bitcoin. And very few crypto investors I know own Bitcoin. If you want to make money, you don't own Bitcoin. It's just a much more mature technology. And so the multiples in front of it are lower. For Bitcoin to go to out certain outrageous feeling numbers, like for it to go to $100,000, like that's, wow, it's a two, two and a half X away. Like that's just not a really exciting, and like $100,000 would be a really big deal for Bitcoin. That could happen this year, that could happen next year, that could, that could take a few years. Whereas I could see plenty of other tokens very plausibly 10 or 20 Xing in that time. And so I, I just am not interested in Bitcoin. It, it's not an interesting platform that has a lot of development on it. No, I, I think like the vision of Bitcoin, the practical vision is being fulfilled by Ethereum and, and other alternative layer ones. I think Bitcoin continues to be a minimum viable product for crypto that is working. And, you know, I think we're going to see corporations and company and, and countries putting it on their balance sheet. I think we'll see a million dollar Bitcoin in, in like our lifetime, maybe in the next five or 10 years. That, that, that seems realistic. But if Bitcoin gets to that, it's going to drag up the rest of the crypto market with it. And, you know, if that's like a 20x for, you know, where it's at now, I think other tokens are going to have a lot more multiples. So at the end of the day, you, you're still thinking in dollar terms or do you already uh, think in Ethereum? No, I denominate in dollars. Like in dollars, I live my life in dollars. That's how I pay things. And so I am building a portfolio to outperform dollars. Mm -hmm. And so like, and it starts with, here's how much ETH I want to have. And then to get that amount of ETH, here's how much of other tokens I need to get. And here's like, a range of prices that I could see for each of these tokens over a certain amount of time. Here's how much yield I can earn off of them. All right, here's when I could expect to get to my goal. That's great. And you have this fund, right? And you're always looking for people joining the fund. I guess the fund is more a traditional kind of uh, setup, right? It's not um, like a DAO or something. I guess I could describe it this way. The short description of the fund is it started, you know, me and my three business partners, we started a friends and family fund. It was an SPV. We wanted to make it one year in length and then we would return it because we weren't really sure what the right structure would be to take advantage of crypto. We wanted to learn, could we do a fund? That fund two and a half X after about five months. And in that time, our really good friends at Kingsley Capital who were in group chats with them for like the last two years talking about DeFi and they were in our war room. They were like, hey, a whole lot of people who are RIAs, registered investment advisors, they want to offer like more than Bitcoin and ETH to their clients. They want to have like smart crypto exposure. Your fund could be that. And so we returned our fund early and then they made us what is called sub-advisors. And a sub-advisor means together we co-create a product, which was our previous fund, plus a few more positions. And then what Kingsley does is they go raise capital, they, they fundraise, they do operations, and, and then every month they send us the money that they raise and we go deploy it into our strategy. So mm -hmm. we're like advisors, if you will. And which I think is great. Like we get to remain independent, but we get to work with them and we run the strategy and it's, it's our strategy, which we've been doing before. And because we have more capital, it can be, um, it's a fuller strategy. Whereas with two and a half million dollars, we're throwing darts, um, at like 
okay, these, these specific tokens, like we can't afford more. Now we can have a much fuller point of view that we have on crypto. So we're more excited about it. And if anybody listening is curious, like, you know, it's, you have to be an accredited investor. It's a $100,000 minimum. We accept people from anywhere in the world. So we can also accept LLCs, our IRAs, individual contributions, and the fund is completely liquid, meaning you can withdraw anytime you want. We will, we will give you your money back. You can redeem it. It's, it's your crypto. And lastly, the fees are, it's two and 20. There's a 2% management fee. And then we do a 20% sort of on the profits based on a high watermark. So yeah, it's pretty, it's very traditional. All right. But I would say that this is for people who believe in crypto. They're mm -hmm. excited about like DeFi stuff and a lot of the stuff I'm saying, but they feel like I can't do this. Like this guy pays attention to this every day. He's in discords. He's doing it 24 seven. He's obsessed with it. I agree with him, but like, I don't want to do it myself. I have other interests. This is kind of who that fund is for. Great. And people who are interested can get in touch with you uh, through Twitter or what is the best? Yeah. Way? You can either DM me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Jason Hitchcock on Twitter. I've got mm -hmm. a meeting link in my bio on Twitter. You can schedule a meeting and we can talk about this fund or you can email me at jason at defimoon.capital. That's jason at defimoon.capital, D-E-F-I. Great. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciated the way that you reached out to me. I really got, you got me excited to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I'm yes. just really proud to be on this podcast. We had a great conversation. Thank you so much. Hey, Jason, I also need a, a cool picture of you. I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen the covers I do for, for sharing, etc. If you have like a picture that you could share with me. Would you, would you be down to just use the CryptoPunk avatar that I have? Would that be cool? Yeah, I of kind course. of use that for, I use that for every sort of thing. And so it just, it keeps things consistent. I also don't care to, I try to not put my face out there as much, but yeah. No, of course, of course, I'll, I'll do that. And, and this one I can get myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just on my Twitter. It's CryptoPunk5777. Okay, I'll check it out. This was super fun. Thanks for having me on. I thought Thank you me. did. I thought you did. I thought you were really well prepared. And uh, this was a, I've done a bunch of podcasts. This was, mm -hmm. this was a really well done one. So uh, my experience was really good. I felt like you asked fun questions that I enjoyed mm -hmm. answering and you had good follow-up. Thank you so much. All right, I got to go now. If you're still listening, chances are that you liked this episode. DeFi is not just me, it's also you, the listener. And growing this podcast is seriously one of the toughest challenges I've ever undertaken. It's so hard to grow an audience. But each day, there are more listeners joining and together we can spread the word about DeFi by giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Send this episode to a friend who might be interested. Check out the website, visit defire.money and click on subscribe to get the new episodes and in the future also blog posts directly into your inbox. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at defiremoney. All of this helps so we can continue to produce more episodes more frequently and get the most interesting guests that you deserve. Good night and see you soon.